Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. But today we're going to tackle this, this third phrase that maybe you've said or you've definitely heard. Maybe you've uh, given this advice to someone of just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. It sounds very Disney, doesn't it? Right? When you are at a crossroads, when you don't know what to do, when you are facing challenges, when you're trying to choose between options, when you don't know the best way forward, you know what you need to do? Just follow your heart, Right? And there's lots of different iterations of this. If you haven't heard this, you've heard one of them. Um, this idea of like, just, you know what? Just do what makes you happy, right? If there's something you really want, uh, regardless of what it is, just go after it, right? Just, you know, if it feels good, go for it, okay? Just be true to yourself. You know what you need to do? You need to do you, okay? Just follow your heart. And, you know, on the surface, it sounds really great. It sounds really uplifting and positive. And part of it is because we all know people who, you know, sort of found themselves in a place where they felt trapped. They felt trapped in a, a certain situation or a certain relationship or a certain job or career or something. And it didn't really reflect who they really are. It didn't really reflect what they ultimately want out of life. And, they found themselves in the middle of something that they just, they jumped into because it was expected of them or they didn't know when they got started what they were in for or they were forced into it by someone who was living vicariously through them. I'm not gonna call out me playing baseball as a kid, even though I didn't want to. But there are things like this that happen. And, you know, these people, maybe this person was you, we find out that in these moments, we are miserable, right? We're stifled, we're stuck, and a lot of times we end up feeling empty. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants to feel that way. And so, you know, if the solution to avoiding that place in life is to follow your heart, then great. But the question is, is that the solution? Right? Is this the best advice? Are people that follow their hearts, do they end up living a more fulfilling life than those who maybe don't sees that advice. And, and why is it that uh, this sounds right to us? Why is it that this is such a common phrase in our culture? Where did it come from? How did it get popularized? Why do we all, why is this sort of all on the tip of our tongues? And I want to read you something that I think helped to popularize this idea. I want to read you a quote. This is from a speech that was given um, in 2005. And this is what it says, your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped in dogma, uh, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Maybe you're like, where is this from? Is this from the Bible? Like, is this, did the Apostle Paul say this? It is actually from Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs famously said this inside of a Stanford commencement speech in 2005. And it, like, you can go back and watch this thing online, and there are moments of it that are very inspirational. Of course, they asked him to give the speech because he's enormously successful in a lot of the ways that our country and our culture values or evaluates success. 
But maybe, like me, you, you sort of, you stare at this quote, and it, it feels confusing, right? Because you feel torn, because there's part of it where you're like, I don't know. I mean, like the first sentence gets me, right? Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. I think that's a great piece of advice. There's something profound and inspirational about that. In fact, it almost sounds like something that is from the Proverbs, right? It sounds like this idea of understanding that your days are numbered and that like, you don't want to waste your existence, your one precious life. But then as the quote gets going, it brings up other questions about like, I don't know, is, is that right? Is that accurate? Maybe, maybe you have this moment of just like, okay, is my heart and intuition, is this the most reliable, most trustworthy source to build my decision-making in life on? What, what do people even mean when they say, just follow your heart anyway? I think if we were to, to, to summarize it, I think this idea is, is roughly that um, your heart is like this infallible GPS internal guide, you know, that will lead you, it will never lead you astray. It's sort of pre-programmed um, on a gut level, and it will always point you in the right direction. It'll never get you lost. It'll alert you when you are about to, like, make a bad decision, and it will fill you with peace and joy when you're on the right track following your unique path. Does that sound Amazing. I, like, I, that sounds awesome to me. I love that. I mean, it's not true, but like, it sounds great. And this is what a lot of us find ourselves buying into. But if you think too hard about this, you already know this is not true. You know this is not the way that life really works. I found out in the fourth grade, okay? And maybe you've had this similar experience. Met this girl, fell in love with her in homeroom. And by the time we were at lunch, uh, you know, she circled yes in the circle, yes, no, or maybe, and we were, we were together. We were like a thing, and we had confessed our love to one another, and it was going to be, it was going to be like life, like the two of us interconnected for all of eternity, and, uh, and man, things were going great until uh, afternoon recess uh, in which she dumped me uh, for someone else that was a little bit better at recess soccer, and it broke my heart, and I found myself in that moment just being like, you know what? I will never love again. I will never, I will never trust my heart, okay, for as long as I will live because it betrayed me. And I meant it, you guys, until the next day when I met Tracy. And I got to tell you guys, the sparks, my heart led me right to her. You know what I mean? And then that was phenomenal. And that one was one of my longer relationships in grade school. That was, uh, that, was, that was two days. And so that one was really, it took off. And I made the same vow again and again and again and again. And some of you, like, it, you, this feels familiar to you, right? Because as it turns out, um, our hearts are not to be followed as much as they need to be led. This is the reality of how you really work. Because this has happened to you before. And it's happened even beyond the fourth grade, where you trusted your heart and it, it led you forward into a dead end with a, a friendship or, you know, a declared major or uh, like a career path or a move or an investment, right? Where your heart was just like, this is the right way to go. This housing bubble's never going to pop, right? Anybody else get caught up in that one? 
And it felt real. And of course, like when it turned out that your heart didn't really know what it was talking about, maybe you shouldn't have gone down that path. We all look back and we're like, man, the signs were there, the warning signs. I just didn't, I didn't see them, right? I just, I thought to myself, it felt so right. It can't be wrong. Also not in the Bible, okay? (laughs) But we want to buy into this. It's sort of the way that we're made. Here's what I think is so fascinating. Isn't it odd that, you know, how many of us have had complete peace in our hearts over the wrong decision? Or even the inverse of it. We've had, you know, crippling anxiety over the right decision. Right? You're coming up on something where you were just like, oh my gosh, my heart is, I just have such a peace. This is, the, this is what we need to do. And other people are on the outside looking in being like, I don't know where your peace is coming from. Like, this is not, this is not going well. And then there were other times where God was actually the one that was like leading you forward to take a next step, to do a thing. And it felt scary. It felt nerve wracking. It filled you with anxiety and fear and nervousness. And your heart was like, no which is confusing because it was actually God in the moment who was like, yes. This is bizarre because so many of us have this experience. So to back up even further, like what do we even mean when we say heart? Um, Because we're using this as a metaphor for something. What, for what? Now in Greek and Hebrew thought, which is important to reference because not only are these the languages that um, our scriptures are written in, But it's also really, the Greek and Hebrew thought is the foundation of a lot of modern uh, Western philosophy. And in, in, in Greek and Hebrew thought, this idea of heart was the epicenter of your intuition, impulses, and emotions. And this is largely still how we think about our heart today. And so if this is true, then what we actually mean by following your heart is, To follow your heart is to allow your your intuition, your impulses, and your emotions to steer your life. Which, if you are a thinking person, brings up the question, is this the best idea we have? Is this really really what we want to rely on? Our intuition, our impulses, and our emotions to lead us forward. And maybe this is just a me thing, but I don't know about you, but like, my emotions are pretty fickle. They're up, they're down. Right? They're, they're like, they're happy, they're angry. And a lot of my emotional state depends a lot on, you know, what's happening circumstantially. But even more than that, like, what I ate today, how much I ate, if I ate, right? Like, how much sleep I got, how much the person that is telling me what to do at the moment reminds me of my dad or a former boss or somebody that I thought I was once in love with. Sweet, sweet Tracy. You devilish heartbreaker. Goes around, comes around, sister. I hope you're getting yours. All right. So here's the thing. As it turns out, the Old and New Testaments both um, have a lot to say about the heart. And the interesting thing is a lot of it, not great. It's not super good. Um, The prophet Jeremiah said it this way. This is Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I love just the ending of that statement, right? It is wicked and evil. I mean, I'm just talking about my own right now. I don't even know what's in there, okay? Sometimes it surprises me. 
Like, it's dark. I don't even know how deep that well goes. It scares me at times. And what he means by this is that your intuition, impulses, and emotions are often darkly self-centered, which is why sometimes your, your heart uh, will lie to you. And in fact, your heart is very good at lying to you about what you really want and why you want it. And we're the first ones to line up and buy that lie because it feels like it's coming from within, which is something we should be able to trust, right? Except maybe we can't. Like, what is that? What, what is it that the heart wants? There's this line that sort of floats around in our culture, the heart wants what it wants. And a lot of people don't know this, but it, it, it's something that Woody Allen said. And the idea of this is like, I mean, listen, <laughs> the heart, it's just like, it has a mind of its own and it wants what it wants. And what are you supposed to do? Say, no, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows you're just supposed to, you have to follow your heart. You've got to be true to yourself at all costs. The, the interesting thing is like when he said this, uh, he, he said this um, in an interview for a magazine in which he was asked the question, do you feel bad about having an affair with your underage adopted daughter? Do you feel a sense of guilt about what you did and the way it fractured your family? And his response was, the heart wants what it wants. That's scary. What, what does the heart want then? And, and I would say that like for the most part, here's what your heart is interested in. Your heart wants you to do what feels good. Your heart is, is after pleasure, right? This plays out in different ways. Like, man, ice cream is so good. It tastes so amazing. We should have it at every meal, right? <laughs> and you know why I know? My heart is telling me. Some of you are like, you, you've listened to your heart. I can tell uh, a time or two. And it's true, but we don't need to be mean, okay? Your heart wants you to do what feels familiar, right? Because it wants predictability. I can't tell you like how many conversations I've had with people where they're just like, okay, I, listen, I know maybe he's not the best for me, Yes, he was just arrested for dealing drugs. But I've always been drawn to bad boys. You know, it's just, it's my thing. It feels so familiar, right? And a lot of times what is familiar, it just makes us feel comfortable because we can predict it, even though it may not be healthy. Familiar isn't necessarily good. It's just predictable. Our heart wants us to do what's interesting. In other words, it's always seeking novelty. Like, it's the thing that, that says to us, like, okay, listen, I know that this work proposal is due tomorrow, but also season two just dropped, okay? <laughs> and I just, I, I thought it was never gonna happen. And it's, I didn't think that was gonna happen until next week and it dropped today and I need to know what is gonna happen inside of this show. I'm on pins and needles here, okay? Like, I, I, I'm gonna have to push that off and learn about this because that is interesting right now. Your heart wants you to do what is validating. It, it wants you to seek approval. It's that thing that tells you like when you have this impulse of like, oh man, I need, to, I need to buy this, right? And there's this one voice in you that's just like, I mean, can you even afford it? And you're like, not really. I mean, I, 
but will they like you if you have it? I mean, maybe, let's do it, right? Because we want the validation, we want the acceptance, we want the approval of other people, and it drives us to do things that it think will make that happen. And, and your heart wants you to do what feels safe, it wants security, right? It's that impulse of like, man, okay, something is wrong here. Somebody needs to sit up and say something. I mean, not me, because I need this job. Okay, so somebody else is going to have to say something because I'm not about to get fired, okay? <laughs> like, I will, what we're doing is illegal here, but like somebody else needs to, to point that out. I'll do it in an anonymous email, but I'm not going to stand up and say anything. So I need to be protected. These are the things that are, are often driving our heart. And what is interesting about this, this list right here is that uh, a lot of these things could, what feels good could be something that is good, and it could be something that maybe isn't good. The familiar thing could be a healthy thing or an unhealthy thing. Your heart, in a lot of ways, begins very values neutral, and what you attach it to, it sort of creates habits around, and it, it pushes you to crave those things again and again. Now, I gotta tell you, like, you know, obviously not everything that it feels good, familiar, interesting, validating or safe is bad, wrong, or evil. Like, but I would say that these feelings that you have are not the best benchmark for what is best for you. Because the things that don't exist on that list of things that your heart makes decisions based on are what is actually ultimately good and right and wise and lastingly significant. So this becomes the issue, like that what is good isn't always what feels good. And so sometimes in order to do the right thing, the noble thing, the good thing, the godly thing, we have to actually deny what our heart wants. And also, like, think about how often your emotions contradict with one another. Like, when people say, like, follow your heart, I always think, like, which part of my heart am I supposed to be following? Because my heart is telling me all sorts of things at the same time. Like, which... Which self am I supposed to be true to? Because I got a lot of various selves sort of stashed away inside of me. And it's not because I have multiple personality disorder, right? It's just because we all have these, these sort of warring impulses. Even if you look at this list from earlier, there are moments where your heart's desire for novelty is in conflict with your heart's desire for security. So which part of your heart do you follow or align with? You've had these moments, right, where your heart was telling you two things at once and those things did not mesh. Like in the checkout lane at the grocery store, right? It's like on one side uh, it has all of these magazines and you're just looking and you're just like, wow, look at Ryan Reynolds, right? Six ways to get Ryan Reynolds abs. That is only six ways? I gotta, I'm going to get this. I can do this. My heart is telling me, like, you can achieve this. You can make it happen, right? And then right next to it, across the way, is, like, every candy ever invented. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this looks so good. And then another part of my heart is just like, you want that. You want that Three Musketeers. You could eat it in the car on the way home. Your wife wouldn't even know that you had it. Throw that wrapper away in a heartbeat, right? Which, which part of your heart, which self do you chase, right? It becomes confusing, and if you're like me, you're just like, I'm going to get the Three Musketeers and eat it while I'm reading about Ryan Reynolds' abs. <laughs> and then nobody wins. Right? It, like, we are conflicted even within ourselves. Or let's say that you do pick a part of your heart to follow, 
And, you know, you, you're going to get an emotional high from that thing, which is part of what you're chasing. And if you're like me, that emotional high is never as high and it never lasts as long as you want it to. It eventually evaporates. Because here's the truth about your heart. As soon as a heart gets what it wants, it wants more. This is the way your heart works. And if you're like me, you have noticed that when you pursue these different things that your heart directs you towards, that, you know, as it turns out, at least in my life, like I can never have enough security or enough approval or enough novelty or enough predictability or enough pleasure. And you were made in the same exact way. It's called the law of diminishing returns. This is why like the first time we experience something, it's kind of great. And then we're just like, man, it didn't have the same punch the next time. Maybe just amp it up a little bit. And we start escalating and escalating and escalating. And our heart leads us to escalate until we ramp the car of our life right off the cliff. So I do want to say emotions aren't bad. And so I don't want you to mishear me on that, but like trusting them, following them, relying on them to lead, guide, and direct you is bad. Jesus said it this way in his conversation about the heart. He says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Sounds like a great time. Like, here's what is helpful to me. Think about this. We're like, just follow your heart. Now, imagine that your heart was not this, like, sort of thing within you. But imagine that your heart is a a person, like another person. And imagine that somebody introduced you to this person, and they gave this as that person's resume. Like, I want to introduce you to my friend Tony. Uh, I just, I noticed you're at a crossroads. You need to make some decisions in your life. I just thought he could be a great coach, a great counselor for you. You're like, that's great. What kind of advice does he give? He gives a lot of evil thoughts. Uh, he encourages people to murder, commit adultery, sexual immorality, steal things, lie to people, slander them. He is amazing. He's helped so many people destroy their existence. And I think you should follow him. We would be like, no, that's crazy. I'm not gonna do that. And yet, this is the exact thing that we find ourselves chasing after. Because, of course, when these situations are presented to us, they're not packaged like this. It looks like something else altogether. And in fact, we have always been drawn to uh, follow our heart. Ever since the beginning of time, ever since there were people, people struggled with this temptation. In fact, if we flash back all the way to Genesis, the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, Genesis tells this story in the third chapter of Uh, a man and a woman who were naked in a garden. You're welcome for the censorship, you guys. (laughs) We blocked out those drawings. Because there are children present, okay? And they're in this garden, and they only have one rule, right? They're they're not to eat of the tree of knowledge, uh, of the the knowledge of good and evil. And, And yet Eve's heart is sort of pulling her in the direction to do the one thing that she's not supposed to do. And, and this is sort of symbolically outlined by this calm conversation with a serpent, right? And this is, this is how we are able to be coerced into things that really are not great for us. It's because no one sits us down and is like, you should murder, right? And you're like, oh, no, right? It's always like, it's this sort of interaction, right? It is this calm conversation 
in which something is reframed in a way that feels enticing. And at first, she's just like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's wrong, okay? And we'll, we've been told if we eat from it, we're going to die. And that's, I don't want to die. I don't like, I, it's, it's, we can't do it, right? And the, the serpent replies this. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Interesting how like all of the things that light her up about like, oh, I want to do this. It's all things that the heart wants. Oh man, it looks beautiful. It would be delicious. I want to get wisdom. I want to feel like I am in control, right? All of these things that our heart draws us towards. Now, there's all sorts of things we could say about this. One of the things I want to say is, because I know some of you are like, well, what, are we, what are we saying? And also, it's like, was it a real talking snake? I don't want to really, I don't think we need to get into all that. I think there's something more profound that we can extrapolate from this, uh, whether we argue over that or not. But what I think is interesting is that Eve is not actually a proper name in Hebrew, right? It's, it's the word that, that, that translates as, as life. And Adam isn't really a proper name either, it's the, a word that translates as human. This is why nobody else in the Old Testament has the name Adam and Eve, because uh, nobody was naming their kids life and human, right? Now we do that. It's like apple. You know, we do we, all sorts of things that we're throwing out there. But it was different. In other words, like what this story is, is a story about how life and humans got off track. Like how life and humans got from where they originated to where they are right now. In other words, this is not a story about them then. It's a story about us now too. It's a story about like sort of cyclical like ways in which we self-sabotage. And what we see here is something that we have all experienced. Haven't you had a moment in life in which you were kind of like, I don't, I don't think that this is right or good or noble or godly. I don't even think this is the kind of person I want to be, but also my heart is kind of pulling me in that direction. I feel conflicted. I don't know what to do. I feel like in my own life, when I have these sorts of moments, it's almost like I can hear this this sort of serpent whisper of like, come on, just follow your heart. You don't need to listen to God. You know what's best for you. Like, why does God get to decide what's good and evil? You should be able to decide what's good and evil for yourself, right? You don't need to believe in God. Believe in yourself. It's the same tactic. What Jeremiah say? Like, the heart is the most deceitful thing. And it's tricked all of us. And this is why God says to his people through another Old Testament prophet, the prophet Ezekiel, who was a really weird guy. He was very eccentric and crazy and had ADD, and we named one of our sons after him. And um, man, that ended up being a prophecy, didn't it? Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, this is God talking. He says this, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, this is a, a, 
a piece of poetry that's wrapped in metaphor, but like you get it, right? It's, it's God saying like, we, our relationship is now at a place where you have like sort of shut off my voice in your life and what I've told you is best. And you've sort of followed your heart so many times for so long that these have become patterns. It's become habitual in your life, this way of being, this way of thinking, this way of going about your existence. And it's, it's sort of turned your heart into stone. It's made it unreceptive to what I say is good and evil, to what I say is right and wrong, to what I say is best and worst. And in fact, what you need is, is not just some sort of like heart rejuvenation, like you need a heart transplant. But this is what I want to do for you. Like I want to take my heart and place it in your chest. I want to give you a sense of who I am, what my impulses and emotions, how those things read. I want you to begin to think and feel like me, this is a gift I want to give to you, which will change everything for you. And maybe you're, you're thinking like, well, wait, okay. If God gives us a new heart, then why can't we trust that heart, okay? Which is a great question. Now, to just build on this metaphor, in a physical heart transplant, there is a complication that can arise, which is something called graft versus host, right? And it's where you, you place like an, a new organ in someone's, in a host body, and it rebels against it. So at their, on occasion, the heart, this new thing, is registered as the rest of the body as like, this is foreign. We don't recognize this. This should not be in here. What is it? It must be a virus. It must be a disease. Let's kill it. Let's destroy it, right? Which is not great, right? Because the new heart, if you need a heart transplant, is there to save your life. And ironically, your body is trying to destroy the very thing that is there to save you. And I think in a lot of ways, this is a metaphor for what God is saying here. There are times in which like, we come to Jesus and we invite him to be our Lord and Savior. We build our lives around him. And we're confused because we are still drawn in different directions that we know are not godly. It's almost like, like all of these habits and ways of being beforehand are waging war on the heart that God has placed inside of you. It's a battle that we will fight until we die. It's a battle we'll fight this side of heaven. Allowing our hearts to be led by God is a process. It's a daily practice. And this is why this wisdom writer writes this. I think this is one of the most powerful pieces of advice for the Christian life. And it was, it's the verse that, that Pastor Moses encouraged us all to memorize as we move into Thanksgiving this week. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In other words, your heart, which kind of wants to do all this stuff on its own, submit your impulses, right? Your emotions, everything that you are feeling and submit those things to God himself. Don't trust your own understanding of things, but seek God's will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Now, you don't have to do this, okay? Because you don't have to do anything. You have free will. Do whatever you want. But I, I will tell you, like, a lot of people don't do this, and it doesn't usually pan out super well for them. One, one really great example 
And the, the irony here is that this guy wrote a lot of the, or is credited with having written a lot of the Proverbs. He writes this elsewhere. This is Solomon. He writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. He says, anything I wanted, this is how this guy lived, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even felt great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And if you actually look into this guy's life, he is not lying. Like any imaginable pleasure that someone could chase down, any impulse that the heart would have, this guy went after. And to an excess that would embarrass Vegas, you guys. And maybe you're just like, well, wait, not that. Yeah, that. Whatever that is that's in your head right now. Like to a, an exaggerated extreme. And what he ends up telling us is like, listen, guys, all this stuff that you're just like, everything would be better if I just followed this impulse and I chased this emotion. I just did this thing and gave into all the things that I want to do. I did it. It doesn't work. Your pleasure center spikes and then you're left sitting with your head in your hands thinking about how meaningless your existence has become. Just sort of jumping from pleasure to pleasure, chasing your heart to whatever feels good next. But honestly, this is not just Solomon's story, right? We all know people that this was their existence. Maybe it, it currently is. They're just chasing down every imaginable impulse. And part of you is like, man, they can do whatever they want. And then you have these moments with them where they're like, I'm miserable. Pleasure, I've collected a lot of it. Happiness, not so much. And in fact, now, even secular philosophers, sociologists, neurologists are telling us that true happiness is not just the pursuit of pleasure. It's something more. It's something better. It's something deeper. It's something that is only available or accessible to us when we discipline our desires. In other words, happiness isn't the result of relying on your intuition, impulses, and emotions to steer you toward what feels good, familiar, interesting, validating, and safe. And what I think is so fascinating is that a lot of the modern researchers are telling us some of the same things that Jeremiah was saying, that Solomon was saying, that Jesus was saying. Following your heart isn't going to work like you think it is. And so what do we do? As it turns out, God's solution to simply chasing your impulses and emotions is to pattern your life after divine wisdom. Now, the ancient Jews believed that all wisdom comes from God. And in fact, God didn't want us to just be eternally guessing as to like what that is. How does the world work? What is wise? How should we live? And so God gives his word or truth or wisdom in the form of his word, which is like a nickname for scripture or the Bible. But here's what's really fascinating. It gets better than that. This is what the apostle John says, John chapter one, verse 14. This is like one of the most mind-bending ideas. He says, so the word or truth or wisdom became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
Now, here is the mind-exploding thought here, is that God packaged wisdom in a person, that God took wisdom and truth and packaged it in a person so that we could observe, so that we could actually like see how the attitudes and actions of this person play out when they're living the same sort of life that we are, when they're experiencing horrible situations and circumstances, when they're being tempted. And we can watch how wisdom unfolds. And that person we believe is Jesus. In fact, this is the whole premise of Christianity, that modeling the way you live your life after the person, the sacrifice, and the way of Jesus leads to the fullest life possible. Which is why I would tell you this. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. This is the message that that are unravel in the gospels of like, listen, listen, don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Follow the example of wisdom embodied in a human. Now, maybe you're wondering like, how, how would you do that? And here's what I would say. Decide that you are only gonna do what Jesus would do if he were you. Only do what Jesus would do if he were you. When I was a kid, uh, there was a bracelet to help you do this. Anybody remember the WWJD bracelets? Come on now. I loved it, right? Um, My parents insisted I wear it, and I think they knew that it was because it worked. There were countless times as a junior high and high school student where I found myself in the midst of a moment where my heart was like, oh, this is what you want to do. And I would reach out for that moment and notice the wristband. What would Jesus do? And I, man, there was something in that moment that the wisdom began to battle my heart. And it was like, I, would Jesus steal this music from Napster? I don't know. I don't think he would. Just further dating myself. And this is the idea. I wonder what would happen in your life if you began to implement this in the way that you made every decision that you were going to make. Like, I wonder, like, what would Jesus do if he were me? Would Jesus, like, go out and, and run up massive credit card bills, spending money he doesn't have to buy like clothes so that he can look impressive and other people will validate his insecurity because he looks amazing, but then will be strapped to debt. I don't know, probably not. Because Jesus, I mean, as far as we can tell, you just stuck to that robe and those sandals, maybe a sash from time to time. Maybe not. You know, would Jesus have an affair on his wife with some woman that he met at the gym because like she makes him feel really good. She gives him attention. She laughs at his jokes and are funny. He receives all the validation that he wants in that moment that he doesn't feel like he's getting at home. No, that's not something Jesus would do. And I, I, I admit there's some situations that are more complex and difficult to discern what Jesus would do in. And that's why you need to be connected to a community of people that can help you process your life situationally through the lens of the life of Jesus. Which means if you don't have people around you that have permission to confront you or question you about like 
man, is this really the wise thing to do? And their definition of wise isn't what Jesus would do then you are going to default to following your heart. And as we can see over and over again through the Old and New Testament, through our own experiences, and even through like all of the wisdom of philosophers, sociologists, and neurologists in our culture, that following your heart exclusively will lead you astray, and your life will not look or feel like it should. But if you follow Jesus instead of your heart, you will follow him into the life that you were created to live. A life that you are deeply desperate for. A life that is not obsessed with simply doing what feels good and chasing pleasure in the next moment. A life that doesn't seize control of deciding that I am the decider of what is good and evil, right and wrong, beneficial or not. A life that submits itself, that doesn't trust in its own understanding, that relies and gives its heart to God. This is the life that is truly life. This is what I want to pray into your life today, that that you would have the courage in a culture that is telling you to follow your heart, that you would have the courage to stand up and choose to stand out by following Jesus. Would you bow your heads across the room today so I can just pray this over you? God, I'm so grateful for your love and for the life that you give us. And I'm really grateful for the wisdom that you have imparted to us. God, I I could not be more grateful that I don't have to just trust my heart. I'm grateful that I am not the master of the universe because I would not be great at that job. And sometimes my ego wants to tell me that that is true, but we've all gotten ourselves into trouble by following our emotions and impulses forward. And God, I pray that you would help us to submit our hearts to you, that we would, in old school Christian language, we would give our heart to you. And then in exchange, you would place your heart within our chest and God, it would begin to beat like yours does. God, our emotions would begin to maneuver towards the way that you feel about others and the world and even ourselves, that our intuition would begin to reflect your intuition, that our impulses would begin to mirror your impulses. God, that you would make us like you as we commit to follow you step by step, moment by moment, day by day. And may your spirit lead and guide us and empower us to live as Jesus in our time, in our place, in our world. And God, may it make all the difference, not just for us, everyone who is connected to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.